This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Hello, and welcome to episode uh, three of the podcast. And today, I thought we'd have a bit of a banter about dexterity. Dexterity is an interesting one that people don't talk about very much in relation to strength and fitness and martial arts. People talk a lot about strength, they talk about speed, they talk about balance maybe, um, but not really dexterity. So today I thought I'd drag in my good friend and uh, co-conspirator, expert podcaster, uh, Howard Jacobson, also a system student. Hello, Howard. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks. Um, and the inspiration for today's episode came from Emmanuel Manolakakis, who was the uh, subject to the interviewee on the last podcast. And about eight years ago, he recommended a book to me called On Dexterity and Its Development by a Russian physiologist called Nikolai A. Bernstein. And this really changed my entire view of how we develop skill um, and how you might go about learning it for yourself. And in particular, my kind of teaching style and how I try and um, impart skill to other people. And I'm hoping this discussion today will kind of change some of your views and uh, give you, whether you're learning Sistema or teaching Sistema, um, some insights that might help you along the road too. All right. So uh, I guess the three things we want to talk about are what is dexterity mm-hmm. yeah. and why it's important, to why should we care about it? And then if we decide it is important, how do we get it for ourselves? Great. Yeah, sounds like a plan. So first up, talking about what exactly dexterity is is a little bit tricky. Um, the, the English translation or the root in English comes from um, from hand or finger, right? So it's, it's tied up with this idea of hand-eye coordination, and it's and it's usually used specifically in the context in English of um, skill relating to hands and fine motor skill, kind of in that sense. Um, but in the sense that Bernstein is using it, in the sense that I'm going to be using it today, it's more about motor skill as a whole throughout your body. It's it's coordination. That, Bernstein actually in the book, which is a fantastic and rather chunky tome on neurophysiology, um, offers three different definitions and then goes through them and discusses how they're useful, how they're not useful, and then arrives at one of his own. Okay, so are the, what, what are the definitions aside from... So the first one is uh, quickness, agility, and skillfulness in the body, um, which is pretty good. And that, that kind of... Uh, that has some crossover, I guess, with agility as a subdefined thing of like foot speed and your ability to rebound and change direction very, very quickly. So in modern exercise science, that has a very specific meaning. Um, so it's become less useful as we've gone on. Um, the second definition he talks about is harmoniousness in movements. And I really quite like this one because um, it kind of suggests this additional ability to make sure that your body's unified in its purpose as to whatever it's going and that there aren't any <coughs> what Vladimir might, might call wasted movements extra movements, so that's quite a nice one, but that still doesn't quite encapsulate the full sense of what he means. And the one he arrives on that he likes himself is finding a motor solution for any situation in any condition. And this, you can probably kind of pass out right away, it's just enormously relevant to Sistema because it's most of what we actually try and do with training, whether it's for fitness or for combat or anything in between. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a visual of each of those? Like, so, not, so it's not just theoretical, but like I could picture like whether it's a ballerina or a mountain climber, Sure, yeah. So in, in his discussion of uh, kind of where dexterity comes from, um, Bernstein uses a whole bunch of different examples in that. And he'll say, for, for example, something with very low dexterity might be something like a worm, right? Something that just kind of wiggles and can barely control its spine structure. It doesn't really have arms or legs, so it's limited in its degrees of freedom and the ranges of motion that it can go through. The best that it can do is control its you know, uh, non-spine, <laughs> just kind of wiggle its segments and make 
its way towards something. It's pretty clumsy and pretty good at getting eaten by birds, which are far more dexterous. <laughs> so that's kind of on the low end of dexterity. Um, worms aren't very quick, they're not very agile, they're not very skillful. A contrast with that on completely the other end of the scale might be something like a chimpanzee or a, or a baboon, right? They can swing through branches and kind of parkour their way through trees. You know, a good, probably two million years before parkour was invented, baboons were doing it effortlessly <laughs> before a bunch of French guys got together and decided that they were going to be human baboons at that point. So that's extreme dexterity. It's the ability to control limbs, kind of translocate and move the body through space. And as you say, ballerinas, um, people with um, very fine gymnastic control, you know, any, any Olympic gymnast, um, not to, to an extent any Olympic athlete, you know, even in something like uh, basketball or soccer, there's an enormous amount of dexterity there controlling an, an external object in addition to your own body and anticipating where it's going to be in space. Um, and we can get to that a little bit later on maybe in, in how there are levels of dexterity and, and that you can separate out and the brain learns those levels in different orders and that can be important for how you learn and teach a skill. Right. When I think about the, the final definition of sort of a motor solution for any situation, mm. I'm picturing the scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where you know, Harrison Ford is standing there being like outmatched by this warrior mm. and then he just pulls out a gun and shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, yeah, it de definitely demonstrates quick thinking and then quick wittedness. But it's, uh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, so, this, so it's like it's not just about an elegant solution or a harmonious solution, but a, an appropriate solution to a particular set of circumstances or problems. Yeah, and that's true. And sometimes the solution can be a simple one. It doesn't have to be a three twist, 360 twisting backflip over the guy's head and kick him in the ankle. You know, it's, it can be, yeah, just pull out a gun very quickly and shoot him before he sees it. Okay, so we're not earthworms. So we don't have to worry about birds. Mm -hmm. um, why is dexterity and its development important to us as humans and as systema practitioners? If you kind of go back to those... Um, I'll answer the human question first, I think, life in general, and then maybe we'll come on to the system part. If you think about the other things that you could train, right, um, that people can and do train when they're training for a martial art or a sport or something like that, um, you can train for strength, you can increase your um, static strength, you can increase uh, the endurance in your muscles, the amount of time that you can spend under tension before your muscles collapse. Um, you can train for muscular endurance in the long term, something like marathon running, which I know you're very good at. Um, Howie runs ultra marathons here all the time. He's doing one this Saturday, right? Well, yep. Yeah, I'll be there on hand to repair your legs after that. <laughs> um, so you can train for strength, you can train for endurance. Um, you can train specifically for what's been subdefined now as agility, the ability to change directions very, very quickly. Um, and you see that with those kind of drills when football players you know, put the ladders on the ground and skip between them and jump around smacking dots in a laboratory and things like that. The, the kind of Rocky Three approach, you know, uh -huh. stuff all around you. Ivan Drogo, you know, jumping around on these uh, different machines while, uh, while Sylvester Stallone punches on meat in a rickety shack. <laughs> um, so you can do that kind of training. Um, but strength training on its own, in the absence of a lot of skill training, can actually lead to injury. It's not going to get you very far. It's, it's possible that, yeah, of course, you can get very, very good at picking things up and putting them down again. Um, you can do a chest press of a, you know, however many hundred pounds. You can squat however many thousand pounds or more or something like that. And that's great in and of itself, and then it gives you a lot of strength in a, in a specific range. Um, but over the past kind of 20, 25 years specifically, people have realized that your ability to do that doesn't necessarily translate to either skill and sport directly, um, or at least there's a point of diminishing returns. 
or um, after a certain period of time, it gets kind of addictive and you keep doing the same thing, lifting and throwing more and more weight until you injure yourself. And then you go through this cycle of injury, recovery, injury, recovery. Um, and then you end up not really sustaining that into old age. There aren't many 80-year-old powerlifters. There are some, um, but not many. And the ones that there are, are actually obsessed with skill, right? They're, they're not obsessed with the weight that they can lift. They're obsessed with the technique the whole time. And so that kind of crosses the boundary from just strength training into what's now become kind of what's called functional strength, right? And there's a whole cottage industry of this now. Everybody in this dog is proclaiming themselves an expert in functional strength training you've got what began probably with crossfit that's kind of turned into a whole movement of primal strength and um but i'm not going to kind of put us into that bracket right away and um, i'm just going to kind of seed ground here to bernstein what he already discovered a, a good kind of 40 50 years ago in the soviet union and what's been discovered by neuroscientists and neurophysiologists since okay so i've, I've heard um, sort of strength without this kind of dexterity is sort of like firing a cannon from a canoe yeah, yeah, good analogy. Very much so. Yeah, you, you have a lot of power, but um, without the skill to direct it, you can hurt not only other people, but you can hurt yourself in the process. And the same thing, to an extent, goes with speed, right? Um, speed and endurance. It's you can train to be able to run fifty miles, um, and you can do that, and you can push yourself through those barriers, and you can learn on mental mental focus, and you can change the metabolic state of your body and and the way that your body. Um, uses energy on a cellular level more efficiently and um, you can do all those things and run 50 miles um, but if you're not working on your running technique and your gait and your stride while you're doing it a series of small mistakes multiplied by 50 miles will definitely add up to damage in your knees and your ankles and your spine right and so people like Dean Karnazes and my ultra runners like that um, they some people are just kind of naturals they feel their way through they have exceptional proprioception and the sense of balance and they know when they're putting their feet in the wrong place or their structure is poor um, but most of us mere mortal, mortals don't have that and we have to actually study how to run rather than just assume that we can run in order to avoid injury over time so speed strength and um, endurance without training skill or dexterity motor control can be dangerous in the long term so you want an at least equal amount of skill to match your level of strength and arguably the stronger you are the more skill you need to control it Right. I guess if you're if you're going, you know, the longer you go in your car with uh, like faulty alignment, mm -hmm. or, or the faster you go, yeah, or the faster you accelerate, the more likely you are to have a blowout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're redlining it all the time, and yeah, so you're just running a risk. You might be able to go really fast, but it's probably going to catch up with you sooner or later, definitely. So that's one thing. So that's. So training dexterity is beneficial to us because it's sustainable in the long term. It's, it means that we're less likely to injure ourselves and we can keep doing the things that we like to do, whether it's uh, soccer, gymnastics, weightlifting, or system. Um, the second definition that, that uh, Bernstein talked about was this harmoniousness of movements. And that, if you really want to kind of boil it down, more or less translates to grace, right? Uh, effortlessness. And, and who wouldn't want that right? in their old age, right? Who wouldn't want... Some people, you know, we know people with grandfathers, great-grandfathers who are 90 and are still very lithe and can just kind of slide in and out of chairs and cars and get about the place and have very good posture in their upright. I mean, I want to be like that. I want to be graceful when I'm 80 or 90. I don't want to be stooped over and barely managing to get in and out of things and just on, a, on an ever-decreasing circle of, of things that I can do, right? So, um, so this ability to not just move and... Um, be quick or be agile, but actually maintain this effortless coordinated movement over time is important as we age because inevitably, like it or not, we can kind of do things to mitigate the loss of strength, muscular strength and the loss of uh, physiological endurance over time, but we can't mitigate it entirely, right? We're gonna, our muscles are going to shrink over time, our capacity is going to shrink, our reflexes are going to slow down, um, but we can definitely mitigate the damage that that would do and 
to the amount of things that we can do by just training skills until they become almost effortless and we don't have to use very much effort to do them. Um, that's something that's a common denominator in systemic training too, of course. And then this last one is finding a motor solution for any situation or any given condition. I think this one becomes critically important for emergencies, right? If you're trying to escape from a, you say, you know, you're in a hurricane and you're trapped under a piece of debris or a tornado here in North Carolina, we get more of those, uh, earthquakes around the world, things like that. It's possible that your strength training might save your life, right? You might have to lift, lift a 400 pound thing off your chest in order to get out. Um, but probably the things that are going to save your life are not strength or endurance, but um, skill, the ability to kind of solve that motor problem in three dimensions and wiggle your way out or kind of see what's free, see what's trapped, relax something, tense something else up and find your way out of the problem that way. It's, it's very rare that you'll have to just use raw endurance to survive something. Yeah, it could happen, right? You crash a plane in the Serengeti and you have to hike 40 miles to get to the nearest person, that's possible. Um, but it's probably more likely that what kills people in fires and natural disasters and, and, and things like that is a lack of self-control. Right? People make bad decisions because they feel like they have no options or they try too hard and hurt themselves, you know, things like that. Or just crashing a car. This is an example that we give every time we teach the car fight seminar. And people come along and because they see the uh, the adverts and it looks like cool Jason Bourne stuff. You're sitting in a car and somebody's trying to garrot you from the back seat and we can teach you how to slip away from it and fight people inside confined spaces. But actually, the, fully the first half of that seminar, is, um, uh, if you've done it, yeah. is uh, it's just how to escape from a car if the seatbelt is stuck or the doors are stuck and you have to go out the window and or just how to you know, egress the car very, very smoothly or get somebody else out of your car if it's crashed, right? Something like that. Um, so these are critical skills, right? You're much more likely to be in a car crash than you are in an earthquake um, or for that matter, um, like an assault by five guys with knives or something. Right. And I'm assuming that the, um, the appropriate motor solution also includes psychological aspects. Like uh, my son Elon was at a concert at Cat's Cradle the other day, and there was like a lot of sort of drunk people like pushing and shoving. Mm. And he could have used Systema to like knock them out or disable them, mm. but instead he sort of used Systema to create a bubble for himself in which he was safe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's an interesting crossover between those things, and um, probably we're going to save a deeper conversation about that for for a later episode. Um, but there's a direct correlation between the amount of options you create in your physical movement and the amount of options that exist in your brain for thoughts and creative solutions. Right. So the more options you have, the more exploratory your brain becomes. Mm. So in a very real sense, movements to your brain or thoughts rather are just internal movements. Right. Movements came first thinking came later. So the, the hardware is based on movement and developing complex movements. So the more complex movement options and controls you develop, and um, the more complex your possible cognitive solutions to a given problem. So, you know, it's instead if, if you've, all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Uh-huh. So if all Ilan knew how to do was shove people back, like aggressively, then that's what he would have done to solve that situation. You know, out of fear, he would have started shoving people in the crowd and the crowd might have closed in on him, he might have been trampled or just, you know, punched in the face or something terrible might have happened, right? Um, but because he had another option open to him, which was yield, <laughs> move with the crowd and just kind of create a little bubble with the structure, he took that option, right? But if it wasn't there, he wouldn't have even thought of that. So right. there's, a, there's this kind of interplay between what's possible with your body and what's possible in your mind to begin with. Cool. And this probably explains why Vlad and other instructors do things that look to me like they were impossible or that I never would have thought to do that. <laughs> Most people wouldn't because they're, you know, they're so kind of open in the ways that they can move their body. Uh, Vlad said before, I'm not flexible, I'm just free, right? <laughs> um, so he's so free in the movement of his body that he's free to try things out and usually they work, right? So it's fascinating. Right? Cool. 
So um, I think so. I guess your second question was about how is this, why is dexterity important to systemic training? Mm-hmm. Why is it to all systemic trainees or teachers specifically as well? Um, so again, coming back to those definitions, you can train for strength and you can train for speed. And, and people do that in the beginning in a lot of martial arts, and you need a minimal amount right, of strength and of speed and uh, agility and proprioception just to be able to kind of find your way through any physical pursuit. Um, but people, I think beginning practitioners, once they realize that they haven't got enough strength or speed to overcome somebody else who's just stronger or faster than them, then they start to focus in on just being quicker, right? Or having more, I don't know, having a bigger palette of skills, more dirty tricks, right? <laughs> Things up their sleeve they can pull out and, uh, and surprise the guy with trying to slip underneath the radar. Right. Well, I'm thinking for myself of the yeah. drill where I'm on the floor and people are walking back and forth and I'm trying to avoid being stepped on yeah. and how quickly I feel like I have to move and roll and dodge. Sure. And then seeing someone like you or another advanced student moving really slowly. Yeah. And like, I don't understand how they're not getting stepped on, but clearly they're they're using dexterity as opposed to speed. Yeah, great, perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, a limit to how much kind of quickness and agility you can train. Um, so if you focus in still, instead on kind of an elegant solution to the problem, like a minimalist solution, using the minimal movement required to get out of the way, just kind of pivoting or blading your body just enough to dodge that knife or that strike or that kick or something, then you end up... Um, with more efficient movements and solutions, um, and those become more effective in the long run for a lot of different reasons. One, because they're unexpected, so people have trouble adjusting to them. Um, And two, because they usually allow you to stay more in structure and alignment, which gives you more power you can deliver to people. Um, And that brings us on to that second definition that Bernstein talks about, which is dexterity being harmoniousness in movements. And you see this, you know, as my model for this is looking at somebody like the Zettler twins who are coming in January or, or Vladimir himself or Quan Lee or other really, really great instructors. They just seem, everything in their movement seems graceful, right? Even when they're falling over, even though they've done something wrong, right? <laughs> I recognize things now um, as mistakes that they do, but they recover from mistakes so gracefully that people go, wow, it's amazing. And actually the things that I recognize as mistakes, where they had too much tension or they didn't see something coming and they recover, um, look like the spectacular things, right? Where they drop to their back and kick somebody in the head or like bend over backwards matrix style or something like that. That technically is usually a mistake. It's a last minute adjustment to something, but they're so coordinated in that motion um, that it, it's spectacular and it's powerful and it still works, right? So um, that's the hallmark, I think, of somebody who's really starting to, um, embody what systemic is when the movements just become harmonious as a whole. Now it's hard to keep under pressure and you see that collapsing sometimes when people try and go faster. They go faster than their body's skill level, their body's understanding of movement will allow. Um, and that's when I think you have to start rather than just trying to do it over and over again and see if you can do that same move better, trying to draw the skill in a kind of classic um, muscle memory kind of sense as you might see in shot put or javelin or something right? um, instead I think it's important at that point to vary the inputs and, and try and randomise things and then you'll force them to find different solutions like more efficient solutions to the problem which brings us to that final solution which is the uh, um, the motor solution for any situation in any condition right? that, that's what you really really want in Systema and that's what you're working towards so you want to be completely free and completely adaptable to the situation as is, right? That's very hard to do. I can't say that I do it all the time, um, but that's what we aspire to. Right, so it's different from something like playing violin in which essentially the inputs are always going to be the same and you're just trying to get better and better and better at a set of motor skills, whereby in, in Sistema and in life, there's there's always going to be an element of improvisation mm. 
um, applying higher level principles really sort of quickly through your neurology. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting example because I would probably draw a line between performance in violin that's based on uh, repetitive and very, very finely honed skill, or just music in general, right? And if you have very highly refined bowing skill and fingering skill with the violin, then you can get beautiful notes out of this thing and you can play, you know, a Stravinsky piece or something like that and you can really go for it and you can play it from sheet music with a lot of feeling and you can kind of put some expressivity into it. Um, but you could probably get a, there's a level of dexterity, of course, an enormous level of dexterity that's required just to be able to do that in the first place. But I think probably the more um, fitting parallel would be taking that violin and then going to an Irish pub and a whole bunch of people starting to play on the board and, and jamming away on the guitar and you having just to fit in with that and improvise and jam, right? And there's probably a good number of kind of concert musicians and like orchestras that just couldn't do that. They're just staring like, where's the music? You know, yeah. <laughs> where do I have to play? What's going on? I know you can do this. I've seen you jam, right? You're an amazing fiddle player, uh, violinist. And, um, and it's a different set of skills. And if you don't practice it, then you can't improvise and you can't create under stress and pressure, I don't think. So, um, and that's really what we're looking for you can, and that's probably something that separates Sistema as a physical pursuit from something like javelin or long jump. Right? That's about getting the technique, which is the ideal way of doing it, and then the psychological pressure you manage is that is the is the wild card, right? And tens of thousands of people watching you in the Olympics when it's your last jump or something, and you deal with that on the inside, um, and then you just do your perfect jump. You try and cue as close as possible to the Dow of long jump. <laughs> but system is not quite like that. It's because like, the inputs are always changing. It's like you're going for a long jump and somebody moved it right at the last minute or somebody put a bunch of obstacles in the run-up thing that you have to hop and skip over before you get there. Maybe that's how triple jump was born. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. Um, but yeah, so it's more akin, I think, to musical improvisation than it is to just performance. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Please join us next week for part two of this discussion. If you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. That's www.russianmartialart.com, all one word. If you'd like to support the podcast, please take a few minutes now to give us a review on iTunes. This is probably the best way of helping us get the word out. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future guests and discussion topics, please contact us via www.ncsystema.com or email me directly at glenn at ncsystema.com. That's glenn with two n's at ncsystema.com. We welcome your feedback. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.